I'm a little nervous. So uh, I actually know, so let me back up and start here. I'm in a, a series of messages right now where I'm going back. If I could talk to Eric at the infantile and the, the challenging times of my faith, because I had this, I was saved at a really young age, but I really wandered. And I really had a, a difficult time finding traction and really finding what real relationship with Jesus was. And there were key things that really held me up. And so I've been teaching on a couple different things that were the most transformational areas of my growth. And last week I taught on the first part of this message, which is called Lies, Laws, and More Lies. And I addressed all these fears that I had that just kept me held down and in bondage. And it just separated my relationship with, with Christ. And um, I had a whole bunch of answers and, and a lot of things that I was just so fearful over. And things like, um, at the end of life, what happens? I'm going to give an account of all the bad things I've done. We talked about the Bema Seat and about how the end of life is not a judgment. It's not a recount of all your sins. It's actually the rewards of what you've done. It's a good thing. Also, the, uh, the habit of having the obeying of the law making me worthy to be saved. Just feeling just so um, just uh, squeezed and just overwhelmed by the guilt of the law. Also, are we under grace? We're under grace, but we're also under the law and how that's actually not the case. We're under grace and what that means is crazy. And so if you missed last week, you can go back on our podcast. We have a brand new website, which is pretty rad. And um, so it's all in there. You can go check it out. And so uh, tonight I'm going to spend the entire night on this one particular topic that at the root of it, it's going to offend you. It's going to offend the way you've always thought about things. It's going to offend what you've been told. It might offend your exact day-to-day and how you interact with God on a regular basis. And I need you to know that I come to you asking you to have an open ear and heart. We need to be able to rest upon the scriptures and have our minds challenged about the things of God that we can really find intimacy with Jesus. If you don't agree, no problem. I'm, I'm totally fine with people not agreeing with me. Not a problem there. But check it out. Seek it for yourself. And hear in me that I'm not trying to be this, I'm not trying to be controversial for controversial sake. I'm not trying to do anything that's outside the norm. I just want people to have the closest relationship with Jesus possible. And for me, this one topic was this this little wedge that put me between the intimate, good father relationship that I always wanted that I now have. And at the center of it, there's a reason that it's so contentious. At the core of it is the battle for do you really believe that God is good? It's going to offend you because there's going to be this little lie. You're like, yeah, God is good because we've been told that, but do we really, really, really believe it? And it's going to test, do you really believe that God is really good? And what do you really think about grace? Grace, as we find it, it's the biggest scandal in all the universe. We want things to be fair. We want things to make sense. And so this is going to offend your mind because we have this habit of wanting things to be fair. Are you ready? So the lie that kept me completely suppressed and completely guilt-ridden was a lie that I must continually confess to be forgiven. That I, as I am saved, I confess Jesus, I'm saved. But from then on, all the rest of my sins, every bad thing I do, I must account for, I must confess to be forgiven. This is the belief that you are saved, but you've been forgiven up until your past, but currently you need to stay current with God in order to be forgiven. I, like so many others, was taught that as after you are saved and you sin, you go and seek God for forgiveness. 
Because sin damages your relationship with God. I was taught that. Were you taught that? That when you confess your sins to God, it restores your relationship. It's like reconciling to God all over again. And so when we sin, we need to go back to God. We need to repent. We need to get on our knees and beg for forgiveness and have his forgiveness come over us. Now, that might not seem like a big deal, but for me, it created this never-ending loop. I didn't want to confess. Why? Because as I talked last week, I had this crazy fear of punishment. The one person who can punish you for eternity, if you fear judgment at the end of life, the last person on the universe is God who you want to talk about all the wrong things you did. So I was fearful of bringing sin to the single entity that could punish me. And so I wouldn't go. I wouldn't confess, which meant I was even in more sin now. Which meant that I might have just lost my salvation. I struggled. I shared my story. I've committed my life to Jesus about a million times because I was convinced I was always losing my salvation. And so I was convinced that, oh, I didn't confess so many sins. I'm unsaved right now because I'm unforgiven right now. I have unconfessed sins. And so then I confess my sins, ultimately rededicating my life. But wait, shoot, I forgot some sins. I just lied in my confession. I'm really going to hell now. Like, you know, it was crazy. And so now I need to confess about my lack of confession and about my inaccurate confession. And so I needed to perpetually do this cycle because I believe that as believers, we go from forgiven, but these many unforgiven states. Forgiven, unforgiven. Forgiven, unforgiven. And then it got me so obsessed, like, I want to stay current. I want to stay in the forgiven status with Jesus. Because what if I died and I'm unforgiven? What then? What if I die while sinning? That would be really bad. Like, now what? You know, like all these, I mean, I need, I need to be on medication for the things I believed and feared of. This may sound completely wild to you, but this was real for me. It was, it was layered deep in my belief system. And I thought it was totally biblical to have this whiplash approach to sin and forgiveness. I sin, I go seek forgiveness, I confess sin. After all, the Bible seems to point to it. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sin, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confessing to be forgiven and righteous is what I thought I was doing until I read the passage in context and realized that John is actually talking to believers and unbelievers all throughout 1 John. In fact, in John chapter 5, he says, I'm speaking to you who believe in the name of Son of God. He distinguishes them. And in 1 John 1, 9, he's saying, if you confess your sin, you'll be saved. He's talking to a group of Gnostics. Gnostics, what does that mean? It means people who believe the essence of their spirit is perfect and saved. Essentially, they believe, I never need Christ because I'm already saved. I'm already perfect. And he's just telling me, setting them straight. No, like, you need to know that Jesus says, if you come to him, he'll cleanse you and make you righteous. You're not perfect. But what about all the other verses in the Bible that talk about believers confessing their sins? There are none. I'm like, really? Where? Never once does Paul, who's, who wrote about 80% of the New Testament, instruct believers to practice confession. Never once is the principle taught that we need to continually seek forgiveness. The only other instance is confess your sins to one another, James 5. You need to confess your sins to others. Why? Because you have been given people to walk things out with you. Not because you got wrong with God, because you need help to walk right. 
And so I thought confession was one of these things I did, but for me it produced a wild set of unhealthy beliefs and hindered my relationship with God. So let me show you why my belief needed continual forgiveness that is not only unbiblical, but I actually believe it's illogical. Now let me note, and a disclaimer here, if seeking God and verbalizing forgiveness, if that is fruitful in your relationship with Jesus, amen. Do it all day long. I don't care. There's nothing wrong with that. Except there's something wrong with me because it perpetuated this lie that I'm in this unforgiven sinner saved by grace and I'm just this lowly person that needs to be showered with forgiveness all day long. And it created this complicated set of beliefs that I had. So tonight, what I'm, because lies run really deep, I want us to be really, I want you to know that I'm not just like cherry picking a single verse. I actually want to take you through how this is kind of built in the scriptures. And just the disclaimer that you know that, like, I'm pointing to at my unhealthy way that I looked at forgiveness of sins. And that you guys are free to do whatever you want in your relationship with Jesus. But I just look at this, and this was liberating for me. I also want, if this is a topic that's interesting to you, the greatest writer of grace that I know is a man by the name of Paul Ellis. I'm, I'm calling it now. He's going to be the C.S. Lewis of our time. But he has uh, written some amazing things, and so I have a couple things from him in here tonight. Are you guys ready? Confess, and I'm going to refer to as confessing to be forgiven is the, the terminology, right? And this, again, remember, it's different than salvation. We confess to be saved, and then we have a sanctified life and what we do in there. So confessing to be forgiven makes no sense because repentance and confessing to be forgiven are not the same. It's really important to know that we as believers are called to repent. God gave us sanctification. We have been saved. We've been made righteous. But he also gave us free will, meaning that it is still within your possibility to sin. Some people are like, I cannot sin. It's impossible. Actually, you can. I don't subscribe to that. I, whenever I sin, it's because I really wanted to. Like, there's not a, it's not that complicated. And so he gave us free will so we can actually still participate with sin. And repentance is the response as believers. But repentance is different than forgiveness. Forgiveness is, is Jesus, please forgive me. I portion the forgiveness upon my sins. You know, like forgiveness is one thing. Repentance is actually much simpler. It's a nautical term. It comes from sailing. It means turn around. And it comes from the old days when the guys were on like the boat and they're like, you know, rowing out. And the, the lookout captain says, ahoy, there's a squall. Repent, repent. And all the sailors are like, we're sorry. He's like, no, turn around, you know. <laughs> Jesus does not want you to say, I'm sorry. He just wants you to turn around. It's so important that Jesus does not desire you to say, I'm sorry, forgive me. He's like, turn around. Turn around, repent. That is what we as believers, as a sanctified body, when we engage in sin, we don't need like, wow, Jesus, forgive me. Though, if that's fruitful for you, great. He's like, I just want you to not keep going the same direction. Repent. Turn around. Don't feel bad. Just stop doing it. Just forget it. Move on. The greatest act of faith that you could respond to with sin is that, that it's not me, and that's not who I am. It's, it's that the blood of Jesus is on this, and I turn around because of what Jesus has done. And actually, I refuse to give my mind the space that occupies my sins. For so long, I let this kind of uh, inventory shelf of all my sins, because I was, I was convinced at the judgment seat I was going to have all my sins read to me. 
and shown to me. So I want to have like good answers. At those times. So I maintain this entire list, right? Totally logical. So I've refused Jesus. I've refused to maintain a record. I've refused to maintain that space. Number two, confessing to be forgiven makes no sense because it's impossible to confess all of our sins. If you think that you actually can confess your sins, you are pretty arrogant. It was really amazing that as I struggled with this topic, because I, I was not in alignment with this kind of angle of the scriptures. I was like, I'm really like challenged by this. This is probably a belief that I've had for just a couple years. And what I, I felt the Lord just impressing is that I actually have zero comprehension for my own sin. How easy is it for me as a human to reduce the grace of God to numbers and instances that I can even comprehend? It was an arrogant belief that I actually can accurately and thoroughly account for my sins. When in fact, the scripture says, James 4.17, any good you know and don't do it, it is sin. It's not just drinking, it's not just lying, it's not just murdering, all those different things. It's any good that you know that you didn't do, that is sin. Want to take it up one more notch? Romans 14.23, whatever is not from faith is sin. How foolish of me is it to think that I actually have a comprehension of my sin? When we really think about what God did for us, it's so mind-blowing, boggling that God, holy cow, I know the things I, I, only I know, but you know the things that I have no idea. I think when the angels were looking down at me, it's like, oh, look, he's trying to account for all of them. How precious, you know? <laughs> it's just really not even sensical. What good is it for me to account and confess three sins that I acknowledge when there are three million sins that I never even knew? It makes no sense. And so the only response to that is just to bask in the absolute crazy mercy of Jesus. Because I don't know this is exactly true, but have you ever gotten like a non-apology? Broad apologies don't really work, at least not for me. I'm sorry for whatever I may have done possibly wrong that offended you. You're like, uh, I'll tell you what you did wrong. You're like, but those don't help us, right? And so when we go to like, Jesus, forgive me for all I've done wrong. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. For me, that doesn't, that doesn't work. But when I just feel the gravity of Jesus, you're, you're so crazy good. You're so merciful. I have zero comprehension. It, just, it should bring you to just utter tears of just joy. That God is that good. And what I realized is that as I tried to calculate the sin, what I tried to calculate the cross, what was the price he paid for me? It actually diminishes the grace of God as you try and accumulate, as you try to put a price on it. The great grace of God is so overwhelming because it's so encompassing. The grace of God is not just forgiveness of sins that you can think of or know of. It's also the millions of sins that you didn't even know were sins or even thought you knew of. It's crazy. Next, confessing sins, I'm sorry, confessing to be forgiven makes no sense because it's impossible to be unforgiven. I just believe I'm unforgiven, I'm unforgiven. I'm good, I'm unforgiven. I'm good, I'm unforgiven. It's actually impossible for you to be unforgiven. It's important that you know that. You're never, ever, 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 ever unforgiven. Why? Hebrews 9.22. Without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. 
Think of that. I need forgiveness right now. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You're actually expecting something that will never, ever, ever happen again. There is no such thing as a new forgiveness with Jesus. There is one forgiveness. There's one forgiveness. There's not going to be another cross. The cross was sufficient. Jesus retired from the cross. Amen? He's like, I did it. I'm not going back. (laughs) Hebrews 10, 12. But he, Jesus, having offered one, everyone say one, one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. One sacrifice for sins for all time. This notion that I can be unforgiven, it's impossible. There's not another cross, and there's no forgiveness of sin without shedding the blood. And Jesus sat down. That's interesting. Was he just tired? No. To have in the Jewish, um, in, the, um, in the priesthood, when the high priest sits down, it means he's done, he's finished, it's over. And so the significance that Jesus sat down wasn't like, whew, that was tough. No, it's like, I'm done. It's done. Jesus at the cross screamed, it is finished. He yelled, it is finished. He didn't yell, my part is done. <laughs> he didn't yell, I've made the deposit. He's, he's like, it is done. It is finished. He didn't say, to be continued. I helped him out a little bit. No, he says, it is finished. You are forgiven for all time, for everything, and it is impossible to remove that from you. Are you seeing where this is beginning to offend your mind? I see some of your faces. You're like, I don't know. I'm telling you. You want some more? Confessing to be forgiven makes no sense because you are the only one remembering your sin. You are the only one remembering your sin. Now, I thought the exception of that was at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat, where all of our sins are going to be given account. In fact, I'll give you the, the answer. There's two judgment seats. Bummer. The first is just, do you have the blood of Jesus on you, yes or no? The second is to give you rewards, the Bema seat. So I thought, well, Jesus is, is you know, well, I forgive your sins, but I'm keeping track. You know, it sounded very scary. In fact, Isaiah 43, 25 prophesies the opposite. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions and for my own sake remembers them no more. Notice he says, for my own sake. I have no idea why he would say that. You'd think he'd say, for your sake I remember them no more. That's mind-boggling. For my own sake I remember them no more. Hebrews 8.12, for I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. There is no remembrance of your sins You need to take this one to the bank like the sky is blue. It's hard because we're in the temporal. We're in the flesh. We see it, but you are lonely. If you're keeping track of all your sins, you are the only person in all of creation who's doing that. And we know that God is not, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation that he would not hold the sins against his people. When you are God's people, he is not holding his sins against you. He's like, I forgot them. They're blotted out for my own sake. They're gone, they're gone, they're gone, they're gone. And so the hard thing for me was like letting go of this like big ball of stuff. Like I'm going to be accountable for one day. This is chain. The Lord says, why are you carrying on that chain? You're the only one thinking about that. And as I was like going to God, I'm like looking back at this thing. 
And I realize it's very hard to get closer to God while I'm dragging this chain of ball of guilt and shame of sin. And so he helped me liberate and says, stop thinking about it. Don't misunderstand this message and say like, hey, well, let's just go on this huge sin fast. You know, it's, don't misunderstand. This message compels me. Oh my gosh, can you believe it? Can you believe it? Next, confessing to be forgiven makes no sense because confessing to be forgiven is not an act of faith. It's actually an act of unbelief. Confessing to be forgiven is not an act of faith. It's an act of unbelief. It participates in the lie that Jesus is permitting any separation with you. Now, Jesus, when he saved us, when we gave our life to Jesus, if you've done that, he could have said, hey, bro, we're, we're totally good. You know, water under the bridge, man. He could have done that. Salvation could have just been about, hey, I'm going to blot out your, you know, your record there. I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist. He totally could have done that. But you know what he did? He made you one with him. He made you one. You are one in Christ. You are inseparable. It's not like Jesus and I just have this strange relationship where we're kind of cordial. He's like, no, because you would think that we could have a broken relationship. I made us one. Now what? He's like, you can't get rid of me now. That's the craziness of salvation. That's the craziness of God's mercy. He's like, I didn't make us estranged and connected. I made us one so we are completely inseparable. Biblical confession is not listing everything wrong with you. True confession, listen, is the positive response to what God has already done. Biblical confession is not listing all the things that you've done wrong. True confession is the positive response to something that God has already done. It's verbalizing faith. It is saying, thank you, Jesus, for your blood that was poured out for my forgiveness. Because of you, I am forgiven. I'm not advocating that we don't recognize our own sin. I'm not, re- I'm not advocating that we don't um, identify with our need of, of Jesus. I'm just saying that when we encounter those times, our attitude must be faith that says, I'm forgiven. Not, I need to go get forgiveness. It, it takes so much more faith to say, Jesus took care of this. I might have consequences here, but Jesus took care of it. It takes absolutely zero faith to feel unrighteous. Think about that. It takes absolutely zero faith to feel unrighteous and feel unforgiven. It takes a crazy amount of faith to stand in opposition to your failure and say, I'm forgiven. Which is harder? Anybody can feel sorry for themselves. I felt sorry for myself for the longest time. It's the easiest thing. Self-pity is one of the easiest emotions we as humans can feel. It is a radical act of faith to stand straight in your failure and say, the blood of Jesus is on this. Hallelujah, I'm forgiven. That's an act of faith. But my obsession with Jesus, please forgive me, Jesus, please forgive me, it was this act of unbelief as if Jesus was about ready to throw me away. God, you're not really that good. God, your cross wasn't really enough. God, you're really not that merciful. Jesus, you really didn't pay for it all. You didn't think of this one. It's this continual act of unbelief. Are you with me? And so when you sin, it takes faith to look at the cross, listen to the Holy Spirit and confess, I messed up, but because of Jesus, I'm still righteous. I'm still forgiven. It says that you are the righteousness of God. You, right now, 
Not when you're on great behavior. It says you, whatever happened to you today, whatever happened to you last night, whatever you did, you are still the righteousness of God. And it's a non-negotiable. It's a non-negotiable. Call it for what it is. For me, it was confessing, being obsessed with the confessing was this unbelief of the goodness of God. It's the unbelief that God really isn't truly committed to you. We're so, we're so used to rejection. We so want people to have like the nuclear button on us. There's something weird about it. We're, we, I think that the fact that God will never leave you, never forsake you, really disturbs us. Because we don't really believe it. Because everybody has their limit that we know of. Do we really comprehend someone that will never leave you, never forsake you? But wait, sin is like cheating on God. You're like unfaithful to God. You know what 2 Timothy 2 says? If we are faithless, he remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. Remember, you are one. He can't reject you because of you rejecting him. That's what that means. It's like I can't disown you because disowning you would be disowning me, and that would be weird. (laughs) God hates divorce, but we want to believe that he'll make an exception for us. That's not the case. Confess to be forgiven makes no sense because confessing to be forgiven kills intimate relationship. For me, it was this little toxic poison that was under the guise of being really pious. It's like, I'm a good Christian because I'm doing all this confessing. We're to have a clear conscience when approaching God. Confessing my sins to Jesus was, was really the only act I took towards God. And it was always with a guilty conscience. But that doesn't make any sense because Hebrews 10.22 says, Let us draw near with a sincere heart and with the full, everyone say full, the full assurance. Full assurance meaning that it is without any doubt. It means absolutely assured. That faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. It says, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a clear conscience. Every interaction I had when I was going to God was with a guilty conscience. Why did I always have a guilty conscience? Because the only time I went to God was when I felt really, really bad. that I hadn't confessed recently. And so you have to separate that. Here's what I learned is that you messed up. And so you feel like you need to do something to restore the relationship. You messed up. You feel like I need to do something. We always want to fix things. When you sin, you may feel, everyone say feel, you may feel like you're distant from God even though he has promised never to leave you nor forsake you. What you're feeling isn't in reality. It's actually impossible to be distant from God when you're one. It's like I can't get any closer. Even I can't even get any closer than that. But confessing sins to get rid of a bad feeling is to walk in the flesh. It's not the way of faith. It's never a good idea to let your theology be informed by your feelings. Just because you feel separate from God, just because you feel God's mad at you, just because you feel like a failure, just because you feel unrighteous doesn't make it correct theology. It doesn't make it so. Feelings should always follow facts and faith. I'm giving you guys a lot of scriptures. That's okay? 
Confessing to be forgiven makes no sense because confessing to be forgiven is self-inflicted law. Confessing to be forgiven is basically works-based sanctification through self-inflicted law. It was a law I created for myself to be deserving to be saved so I wouldn't lose my salvation. Again, right? I'm crazy. Did you know that being enslaved to law like that actually instigates sin? It actually empowers sin? Check out this passage, 1 Corinthians 15, 56. The strength of sin is the law. Where did that come in? That's not in the Bible. Actually, it is. The strength of sin is the law. Paul says in 2 Corinthians that the ministry of the law is the ministry of death. Now, if you create and live under self-imposed laws and ways that says, I must do this to be forgiven, you strengthen sin, you strengthen the law, you strengthen the ministry of death in your life. What sin? I don't know. I have actually no idea what this even means. I just know I was doing it. That's all I know. Could it be that it is the sin of unbelief? Whatever is not from faith is sin? That when you're trying to achieve righteousness through works, that that actually is unbelief, that you don't believe in the goodness of God, and that you can actually deserve it and earn it? Because confess in order to be forgiven is works-based. It's trusting in self. It's putting the priority in the wrong spot. Grace is a gift. Have you ever given someone a gift and they're like, hand you 20 bucks? Thanks, man avoids the gift. It's only grace, it's only gift if you can actually contribute nothing to it, even though we want to. Even though we like, God, I can contribute. He's like, no, you can't. The radicalness of grace is that you actually cannot do anything to deserve it. You just receive it. It's the wildest truth, it's the wildest gift, and it should just completely transform how you think about your life and completely transform every single thing that you think about in terms of your relationship with God. Let me end with this. Here's the other pesky passage. Have you ever felt untransformed? Have you ever felt like you're lacking in all the spiritual qualities? Have you ever felt that you are unfruitful, that you don't have the fruit of the Spirit, that you're not productive in your faith? Have you ever felt like all the spiritual qualities that I am supposed to have, I don't have? Anybody? That was me. You know, Peter actually identifies with that and gives you a reason why. It's 2 Peter 1.9 says, but whoever does not have them, and he lists all these spiritual qualities that you and I esteem. Whoever does not have the spiritual qualities, look at this, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past. When I read that, I just recounted my life. I was unfruitful. I was unproductive. I didn't have the transformation. wise Because I had been forgetting that I'd been cleansed from my past. I was letting my past define my future. I was letting my past define my proximity to God. I was letting my past define what I could and could not say to God. Or I let go of that. Boom. All of a sudden I started having fruit. Wow, I'm not afraid of Jesus. Hey, crazy. Jesus wants to speak to me. Awesome. 
Wow, Jesus is not mad at me. That's kind of crazy. Wow, Jesus is a loving father. Really? Yeah. See, we believe that God is love and loving, but we really don't. He's mad. You're going to pay. Right? Come on. I'm just saying what I was believing. I put my, my butt in a seat like this and be like, hey, man, Jesus, you're so good. I'm, I'm so terrified. <laughs> if we can grab hold of this, if you actually can tap into the unfathomable goodness of Jesus, it'll be the biggest romance relationship you've ever known. This is like the greatest story ever told, laid out. And this toxic guilt of like, I move from this forgiven to unforgiven state. Jesus is going to destroy me because he's decided he wants to break up with me. And I don't know what that means. Like, that is the biggest intimacy killer ever. And Jesus is like, I didn't invent it. I've given you my word. I've given you all these scriptures to show you, like, I welcome you in. Come with a clear conscience. I'm not the one who's remembering your sins. You are. For the longest time, I penalized my intimacy with God based on my own decisions. I was drawing boundaries with Jesus that he never drew. We think, God, where are you? God, draw near. He's like, I have opened the prison doors, the gates. I've removed the guard, and you refuse to leave your cell. It's like being enslaved in a jail cell, Trying like, oh, the door's locked. And the, the, the God comes and gives you the keys, unlocks it, removes all barriers. All you need to do is walk out of the prison and you're still there. God, why am I still here? And he's like, I don't know what else I can do for you. That is how radical this message is. That's how radical the grace of God is. Now, I still believe that Jesus is relational, right? I wouldn't completely offend my wife. And be like, Grace, you ain't going to divorce that. You know, I wouldn't do that. So please, please hear me on this. I'm trying to pick at the unhealthy bondage area of what God actually designed for us to. He wants us to look at our sins with, with like, thank you, God, that you forgave me. He wants the greatest feeling you have to be assurance and thankfulness, not guilt and shame. For me, that was the pathway to that. But also, like, in my relationship with Jesus, I feel like I can just talk to him. It's not bad that I'm like, Jesus, I totally messed up. Why did I do that? I'll dialogue with him. I'm like, one time I, I lied about the dumbest thing ever to a sales guy. Like, so I bought this motocross helmet. I spent a ton of money on it because I want to protect my head. And I went out riding with it, and I realized, like, it was too loose. I just dropped so much money. So I called him up. I'm like, um, I haven't worn this helmet at all. Um, and uh, I need a, an exchange. All right, did you, did you wear it? No. All right, cool. Um, so let me get you a order here. About three minutes into that, I'm just like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. I'm like, dude, on the same call, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I actually just lied to you. He's like, what? <laughs> He's like, I just lied. Catching your sin in real time, it's a trip. <laughs> and so I'm like, man, I'm really sorry. I, I don't know why I did that. But I, I did write it. I went up for a few laps, realized it was too, too big, and I, I just wanted to exchange it. I'm just really sorry. It's like, I think it's still in good shape. 
He's like, you know what? I'm going to send these to you, send the other ones back. And if they're good, we'll just call it even, no charge. It's like, all right, cool. So I did that and I got all my money back. It was awesome. But it was crazy, like, that was the time, like, I'm like seeing sin go out of my mouth. <laughs> like, <laughs> here. And so I took that to the Lord. I'm like, Jesus, I thought you'd done more in me than that. Like, really? That's, that's the one I pick, you know? As if I can, like, apportion them to better uses or something? I don't know. And so, like, while, when we are free from the guilt of confess to be forgiven, we actually can be free to dialogue with Jesus. It's not that he doesn't want to hear it. It's not that you are doing anything wrong by confessing sins. Don't, none of that stuff. But your relationship with Jesus needs to be dependent upon that there actually is none of that guilt and shame when you come with it. And I can talk about all the sin I want with him, and I'm not breaking the Bible. I'm not doing anything wrong, but I'm now liberated from the chains that enslave me. Does that make sense? Amen.